you're listening to a Two Jackets podcast. Check out more at twojackets.com. Welcome to Sham Fiction, the podcast where we break the first rule of fan fiction, that you have to be a fan to write it. We're Two Jackets Productions. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Marcus. Here's the format. Each installment, Andrew, Eric, or Marcus will be presented with a media franchise that they are unfamiliar with and challenged to write fan fiction about it. We'll start by giving the author some basics, like characters, overarching plots, and those special elements that make each franchise great. The author will then take this info, throw out what they don't like, add a generous helping of creative license, and come back ready to read their masterpiece for all of us to enjoy. It's fan fiction written by non-fans. It's sham fiction. This week's author is Eric. Hey, everybody. It's Eric. I'm writing this week. What do you got for me? Eric, are you ready for this? We got a mission for you. Ooh. An assignment of dire, of grave, of important, important. Pick once. <laughs> of important importance. Will this message self-destruct in five seconds? No. Okay. But well, it's nonetheless important. Uh, sure, lay, lay it on I, to, me. I told not? you to pick one you picked important. I like to like dire and grave a little bit more. <laughs> They're better words. Shorter, they mean more. Especially when paired with important. Yeah. <laughs> or importance. Like, like putting up the, uh, the slip and fall caution sign is important. <laughs> like what we're talking about is dire. Ooh, it is. That's thank you, Marcus. That is the differentiation here. That's why I had to use one of those because Eric, today we are pitching to you. Eleven twenty-two sixty-three. Do those numbers mean anything to you? Um, not really. All right, that's even better. You know what? That's fine. That's fine, Marcus. That's fine. It's right? fine. It's fine. Everything's it's fine. fine. This is fine. Everything is. Absolutely fine. So we'll tell you a little bit more about these numbers. Would would would, would it mean anything to you if I said it was a date? Uh, like a hot date, like a blind date. No, like like <sighs> the date were around November twenty second in the year nineteen sixty three uh-huh. of the Common Era. Uh huh. I uh, I'm, I'm not that good with history. All right, so Eric, here we go. We're going to get into this. So that is the date that President John F. Fitzgerald. Kennedy. In case you were confused. Okay. Yep, I was. I was. Thank you for clearing it up. Um, <laughs> was assassinated. Oh, okay. By anywhere yes. between one and 50 aliens. Okay. It's a conspiracy, Eric. It's a conspiracy. But it's also, this date is also the title of a novel by one Stephen King. I've heard of that guy. Yeah, you have. You know it. I know it. Everyone knows it. You got it. <laughs> and, but it's also the name of a television series, because, of course, this is Andrew Neal we're talking about right here that's talking, and <laughs> I can't be bothered to read yeah, books. Yeah, when I was, when I was talking to Andrew about this one, I said, hey, I, I've read this book, 112263, it's pretty good, we should do it on the show. And it goes, is there a movie? <laughs> I said Hulu event series, and he goes, okay. 
<laughs> it's a bit longer than I'd like, but I'll go with it. Uh, yeah, so so I so Marcus read a bit of the book, or he read the book and 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 also watched it. He's done the complete homework, but yet I'm still the one that's taking lead on this. And I just watched the television series, series which is an eight part event series. It's all there's going to be. It's not going to be a season two unless <laughs> King writes a sequel. Sometime, Eleven twenty three sixty three. Much more boring day. <laughs> Just a day later. Everyone's just sad, really. <laughs> oh no. So yeah, so this uh this is a series um it was developed for television by um Bridget Carpenter and the Bad Robot Company. Oh. So JJ Abrams and and uh, Brian Burke. We know those people. We love close those people. Per- yeah, personally. I'm yeah, I'm, text- yeah, close I'm texting friends. JJ right now. Yeah, tell him that we're recording yep. this. Oh, he's gonna be like he's gonna he's gonna tweet or excuse me he's gonna text back like all the thumbs ups and all the kissy faces all of them typical Jage classic oh, he loves them classic emojis. All right, so this came out on the Hulu as a Hulu original, as Marcus said back in February. It stars James Pineapple Express Pranko <laughs> as as Eric knows and Eric loves. Uh-huh. Um, as well as Sarah Gadon, Wait, hold George on. He's, McKay. He's playing. He's playing a character named Eric Knows and Eric Loves. That, no. That's what I got out of that. <laughs> okay, then then you, then then I then my words are in error. Okay, but you 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 love the pineapple. The words you choose, course, Andrew, are very grave. I mean, important. It's and important. Dire, yeah. <laughs> the words you choose. <laughs> yeah, we haven't even gotten to the assignment yet. Um, but it's also starring uh, Daniel Weber, Lucy Fry, North Dakota's own Josh Duhamel. Wow call out to all our North Dakota listeners and the great, the great Chris Cooper, who guys, he's not bad in anything he's like John Goodman, he's one of those guys who's just always good and it was a pleasure to see him in this series. I'll text him until he said that oh, thanks, thanks, also friend of the show, friend of the show <laughs> you like that Eric? Are you liking this I, so far? I hate it <laughs> it's actually tearing at my soul, piece by piece Oh, glad to hear it. We got an assignment for you now. Let's get into it. Well, this came out in 2016, February, on Hulu. So, one of the Hulu originals, and it just came out. Cutting edge here. Cutting edge. Yeah, only like eight months old. Talking about a old 53-year-old event. (laughs) Uh Perfect. Lay it on me. All right. So, 11-22-63 takes place in the present, but also in the past. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, Eric? Uh, it means... Timey-wimey stuff? Oh, you, you got it. This is a time travel so story. So, I love, I love time travel stories, Andrew. There's always something cool, like a telephone box that can travel through time, the Enterprise wrapping around the sun, or a DeLorean that's been tricked out with nukes. How did they yeah, travel you know back it. in time in this one? It's got to be something cool and glamorous, right? Uh, no, not at all. They walk through a pantry nope. and <laughs> fall out into 1960. There you go. <laughs> wow. The old time uh, pantry. Oh, and we should be very clear that we are specifically covering the uh, television series since I have not read the book. <laughs> uh, so I know Marcus made this clear that the details between the novel and the television series are are different. So in terms of the dates and the events... 
uh, they're, they're, they're different. So if you hear something and, you ha- and you've read the book and it's different from what you read, it's because it's in the television series, which I would still recommend that you watch because it is good. Yes. Peace. All right. So uh, time travel. Walk through the pantry. Who's walking through the pantry? What's going on here? So this story follows a guy named Jake Epping, who is played by James Franco. Jake, he's a sad sack guy, English teacher, who lives in, guess it, Eric, guess it, where does he live? Where does he live? Is it Dallas? <sighs> Stephen King. Stephen King. Where does he live? <laughs> I don't know. It's oh, always my goodness. Maine. Okay. Always it's Maine. Always Maine. Oh, God. Stephen <laughs> King lives in Maine? All of his characters yes. do. Yes. Oh, why? Every, he, well, he does, and then all of his characters. Is he just like lobster? <laughs> oh, hey, I like lobster. Oh, yeah. why? Because <laughs> he's Stephen King. Keep up. Oh god. Keep up. Cyclical. Okay, let's. All right. So Jake it. is an English teacher in Maine. Yeah. Uh, he's just signed divorce papers. So again, he's even of a sadder sack. He feels directionless. He's got no one close, or he feels he has no one close. And then his pal Al Templeton, played by Chris Cooper, who owns and operates this like cool hip. Retro diner. The kind of place that you Guy know. Fieri might fart all over, you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah, dude, it's, fl- it's Flavortown. Uh, you get it? Yeah, he operates a diner in Flavortown. Okay. They, they, yeah, they, they all make right. the most Monster Balls burgers. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> I love it. Uh, so, Al owns this diner, and he says, Hey, Jake, if you walk into this closet in my back room, one might call it a pantry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you walk out, and it's 1960. Um, and Jake's like, whatever, dude. I'll try it. You're crazy. Uh, but, oh my goodness, Al is not lying. That happens. And he walks through into this dark, dark pantry, and he falls out into bright, sunny 1960. It's in a, 1960, in, in, not 1963? Correct. No, 1960. Oh, you are right. okay. So, this is crazy. There's people walking by. There's a milkman. There's there's, wow. there's sweet cards, you know, Cadillac ladies in these sweet, you know, 60s hairstyles and gentlemen, you know, dressed all like 1960s. I'm terrible at describing this. Yeah. But, you know, you no, no, no integration. No integration in the schools. Women only in the kitchen. I get it. It's 1960s. Yeah, yeah. Well, we don't see all of that stuff just in this place that he falls out, which is the exact place that the diner is located. He hasn't changed locations. He's just changed times. And in 1960, the diner wasn't there. So he just falls into a vacant lot. Oh, but then how Uh, does he get back? Oh, man. He just walks back in the general direction that he fell in, and boom, he's back in the diner. Weird. It's very strange. They just kind of cut in and the show, and he's back. I do back. need to point out that this is not a budgetary consideration. This is how it is in the book. <laughs> it's, okay. It's just a very unmiraculous time hole, uh-huh. which was the original yeah, title for hole. the book, Unmiraculous Time Hole by Stephen <laughs> I King. like it. Uh, and then his editor was like, uh, Stevie, baby. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to sell copies, my, my brother. All right, so Jake does this. He sees this. He's like, oh, my gosh, this is real. And he comes back, and Al, who says that he's dying because he somehow contracted cancer back in the past from traveling back, he says, listen, listen, Jake, you don't have much to live for. You're a sad sack. <laughs> Just come on, man. Take up my mission. Take up my life's work. 
which is to use this time hole to go back and prevent the assassination of John F. Kennedy on 11 22 63. Uh. That is the mission. And Jake's like, listen, bro. <laughs> uh, I, my life's okay. It's fine. It's fine. But then, uh, even though Al, you know, spends like a whole night telling him everything and showing Jake all this research that he's done from multiple trips into the past. Jake's like, no, man, no, I got to think about this. I can't just do this. And he leaves. He comes back the next morning to apologize because he and Al left on, you know, not great terms. But Al's dead. Uh. Al has died. And Jake's like, oh, well, I guess it's time to go back to the past. Gotta go back in time. Oh, you got it. You know it. You know it. Um, So, yeah, so Jake goes back into uh, 1960. And he has all of Al's research. Including his sports um, almanac. Regarding, yeah. Yeah, including an almanac, yes. Because that's how Al made money, is by betting on sports, and on like prize fights and games, yeah. in order to make money. And that's, that's how he got through. So he has all these things written into a book. He's got all of this uh, research that he's conducted from living in the 1960s for years. Yeah. Um, because the way that the time hole works is no matter how long you go back in time, if you come back, only two minutes... It's two minutes, right? It's not two, two seconds. Minutes, yeah. yeah, two minutes have passed in the present. Okay. So that's how Al could go back for, like, th- you know, three years and come back looking older and also having contracted cancer, mm-hmm. even though only two minutes have passed in the present. And each trip resets the timeline. So if you go back for a year, you cause an apocalypse and you travel back, you see what happened with that apocalypse. But if you duck back in, everything goes back to normal. So you can only do this once. You can only make one permanent change to the timeline. Because if you were to go back again, your timeline changes would be erased. Wacky. It's wacky. It's timey-wimey, to be sure. So here's the thing, Eric. As you have pointed out, it's not 1963. It is 1960 when this portal kicks Jake out. So, Jake has to live in the past for a little over three years. I believe it's October 1960 when he's kicked out in the television well, that series. Sounds, that sounds really easy, Andrew. He's, you know, he's white male, so he's not going to have problems there in the 60s. That's he absolutely He can make a true. lot of money. He can just sit in a luxury hotel and then on the 22nd, meander down to Dallas and pop uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Why is that a problem? Oh, oh, you know, because the past, Eric. Yeah. The, the past. <laughs> Eric just woke up. <laughs> huh? The past doesn't want to be changed, Eric. Of course not. And the past pushes back. Huh. So whenever Jake's does something that is affecting the past in any way, whether it's related to the JFK assassination and those involved, or other people that he gets involved in their lives. Starts sleeping around, that sort of thing. Strange things start happening. Okay. Yeah, like, very quickly into all this, Jake's room where he's staying sets ablaze. 
and his sports almanac gets a little burnt up, and no. so he loses some of that information as well as some of Val's research. So there's okay. things that are happening. Or he's like going to listen in on somebody at a meeting that Alice told him about that's discussing Lee Harvey Oswald, and oh no, a chandelier falls in his path that was trying to get him. So it's these weird things that keep happening that try to interrupt his assignment. It, it manifests like having the worst luck in the world. <laughs> right? So we yes. don't see a physical yeah. force doing any of these things, but anything that can go wrong, copyright, Murphy's Law, you know the rest. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Can't say that full thing on the air. We'll get sued. No. I mean, JJ just texted me back and said, hey, can't do the Murphy's Law thing. He just knew. He just knew. Yeah. Yeah. He knew we were, he, that Marcus was going to say it. So we are going to start this in Dallas. We're going we're gonna to have you, have you do this in Dallas because even though Jake doesn't start there, he starts in Maine because that's where the time hole is. He drives down. He gets a car, uh, a pretty sweet ride, and he drives down to Dallas. Other things happen on the way. Yeah. We'll get to those. We'll we'll abbreviate those. But he's down in Dallas, and he's going to live near Dallas um, for, uh, you know, three years. So okay. that's where we're going to kind of pick up, because that's where most of the series takes place. So let's tell you a little bit about Jake. Um, okay. So Jake Epping, he's going by the name in the past, Jake Amberson. Okay. And uh, I'm just going to tell you that it's the perfect James Franco role. He's charming and awkward at the same time. He's both clever and careless at the same time. It's perfect. That James Franco bravado is put to perfect use here. Sure. And so he's an English teacher in the present. He references literature all the time. Um, and he has this identity that was created by Al. So he has all this proper identification that he can use. Sure. Nice. All right. Marcus, next up, next character. All right, so we've told you about most of the character situations, so I'm just going to give mm-hmm. you a couple people that are important to Jake, two of them here. Okay. Uh, first of all, he ends up working in a school because he was an English teacher, and he falls in love with the Texan Bell librarian, Sadie Dunhill, Miss Sadie. Miss uh, Sadie. And she was divorced from her crazy husband who has a thing with a clothespin on his, on his whatever, and that's weird. Uh, uh, it's super so weird. So we're just not going to talk about that. But yeah, Sadie, she's got husband problems, and she she loves him, but he has to lie to her because it's a time travel thing. And mm-hmm. then, oh my gosh, this guy doesn't even exist in the book. Book readers, take that, nerds. You got oh my goodness, good old Bill Turcott, who Bill! is just kind of this dummy who sees Jake. He's a bit of a dummy. Jake do some time travel stuff, and Jake has to fess up to him. And uh, Bill just says, you know, I'm going to be your partner. I ain't got nothing better to do. I ain't got nothing better to do to know how. And so <laughs> he just becomes his partner. And uh, that's how they have the the conversations that happened in Jake's internal monologue in the book. Okay. So he's just a dumb kid, knows how to use a gun because he's from the South. Sure. And then All right. then you got the, the Oswalds, right? You want to... Mention them briefly. They're a historical yes. accounts, so we don't need to go in depth. Yeah, so Lee Harvey Oswald. So because Jake, the Al has told him that Oswald is still the prime suspect. Even though there's all these conspiracy theories, Oswald is the one that Jake needs to keep tabs on. So 
Lee Harvey Oswald, former Marine, he has just returned from the Soviet Union where he defected. And he's a pro-Soviet guy, pro-Marxist, very paranoid. He thinks the government is watching him. And he's quick to anger. You know, he has this wife, Marina. Marina Oswald, who is a Russian. He married her over in Russia while he was there. And so, like, he is... He's abusive. Not a great husband because of all these things. And, again, because he's, he's the killer... The Bill and Bill and, and Jake are looking after him. They're living in the flat below him. Yes. Using crazy okay. 60s surveillance equipment, which is a lot of Wait, fun. Hold on, who's above who? Uh, the Oswalds are on top. Oswalds on top. Just like a little yeah, duplex. They, 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 have, they have the Oswalds apartment bugged, and they're using, yeah, those that, like, create, that great like reel-to-reel recording equipment. Hey, here's a great question. Yeah. If the timeline just resets, if you go, you know, back again, why don't they just cap Oswald immediately, fly back to Maine, get back through the time hole, and see if anything changed? That's a fair question. Why? Why don't they just cut this whole thing out? Why do they have to keep tabs on this guy and not just murder him and see if they were right? You know, and you wouldn't even have to murder him, right? Because you, you could knock out his knees or whatever. The idea, though, is if Oswald was part of a greater conspiracy. You know, he might convince someone else to do it, so it might not have well, that then, effect. History likes to write back, itself. You go back to the past, and you try again. Uh, so I think they're also just not as cold-blooded in the murder uh, as as we might like for them to be, I suppose. Also, does anybody put any thought into the possibility that maybe a future where Kennedy survives is actually worse than a one well, spoilers. where he is assassinated? Spoilers, Eric. Inevitable Uh-oh. spoilers. Uh-oh, did I hit on it? Did I do good? Uh, we won't talk about that. So, <laughs> no, they don't do that. And uh, so, there's also another character that we need to tell you about. A mysterious character. Oh, I ran out of space on my paper. Uh, oh, you're going to have to flip it over. No, I'm just going to ignore it. All right. Because <laughs> this is the Yellow Card Man. And the Yellow Card Man is this foreboding figure... In a trench coat and a cool hat. It's got a yellow card in his hat. Like that's a press called, credential. But. Yes, that's why he's called the yellow card man. And he, we don't know what his deal is. All that we know is that he keeps telling Jake that he's not supposed to be there. And he's Whoa. a drunk. Yeah, he acts drunk. But he keeps popping up where you, you don't expect him to. Just in random places. <laughs> and he's staring at Jake. And telling him that he shouldn't be there. You're What's not this guy's deal? supposed to be here. No one's yeah. supposed to be here. Yeah, you got it. You All know right. it. I got you. Yeah. Somehow wise to the whole timey-wimey stuff. Yeah, somehow. Maybe. We don't get it. I don't get it. All right, Marcus. Let's let's get into just a few more details about this series before we uh, kick it kick it over to Eric to write. Yeah, we can we can just wrap this up here. Yeah. Uh, so. The things to remember, Eric, overall, this is a love story. Jake keeps getting in trouble for loving Sadie. Bill gets mad at him for abandoning the mission. The reason that it's taken the three years, uh, despite your clever workaround, is that they need to figure out if Oswald is the only person guilty uh, or if it's part of a greater conspiracy. So that's a lot of what the time is spent doing. And okay. it's the 60s, but they really, in the 
TV series don't hit any of the issues. Like, every good character is a progressive anti-segregation paragon, right? Okay. Uh, which is really convenient, because it's hard to acknowledge that there could be otherwise decent people who had horrible, wrong views on that. Um, and they just don't hit any of that seriously. So it's kind of winked at, but I, I thought that was probably the most disingenuous thing about the series. Okay. Um, and then, you know, you just get a lot of the time travel stuff. Jake's always accidentally going, oh, that hasn't been written yet. Or forgetting things that haven't happened. And, uh-huh. you know, time pushing back is the big thing. Sure. So that's that's pretty much what I'd go on. Remember, the humans are the worst monsters in all Stephen King stories. That's good to know. Oh, Yes. There is some very disturbing things in this in this show. Cool, I love uh, it. This sounds fun. Yeah, it, it's gonna be. Man. I'm gonna have to I do think a little research. It. Do it, but I yes. hate hate research, oh, guys. And you know what? You know what, Eric? That's the perfect segue into my bonus points. <laughs> oh shit, Eric! My bonus points written down here in advance. I can see that. <laughs> Marcus knows it. Now you know. Everyone it. knows it. So now everybody knows it. Uh, do a little research. <sighs> Hit that '60s flavor, boyo. Reference or tie in another important event that happened between October 1960 and November 1963. Okay. And I'm going to give you an easier one. Uh, I, I would have been thinking about giving you a research-based one, but we'll throw that out. All right. I'm going to give you the yellow card man, whom hopefully you did write down. Uh, I want something cool to happen with him. He feels like the most neglected character in the series. He's elaborated on a lot more fully in the book. Um, But, yeah, what's his deal? Or have a cool confrontation. Or have, you know, something. I don't know. I just want to see some cool yellow card man moment that's that's actually significant to your story. That sounds good. I like that. Cool. That'll give me a good starting point for where to, uh, what this actual specific story will be for me. So, Excellent. Uh, awesome. I'm going to run off and I'm going to write this thing. All right. It can't take you more than two minutes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It'll take literally two minutes because I will have spent uh, probably several days in the past working on this. So How uh, else are you going to do the research? Exactly. So I'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Hey folks, we'd like to make a quick request. If you enjoy the podcast, please support us by subscribing and get a new episode for free every Sunday. While you're at it, you might consider rating us as well. We like positive reviews, so if you have something nice to say, please say it. If you don't like the show, well, pretend you're writing a sham fiction of a positive review and get yourself a little writing exercise out of it. Sounds like fun. Alright, thanks for listening, and let's get back to the show. Okay, Marcus, while Eric is off writing, traveling back to the early 60s to research and then write his fic, what do you think he's going to be writing about? Well, I know that Eric likes to get to the bottom of things. He likes to solve the mysteries. So I expect a two-part secret bonus point out of Eric. So the first is that this will be set around the actual assassination. He's not just going to have okay. some lovely librarian dialogue scene. It's going to be right smack on 112263. 
Ooh, okay, so like Jake trying to stop Oswald. Yeah, I think we'll be right there. And I also think that he is going to play with the concept of a magic bullet. The the what? theory of the magic bullet. Go into this. What does this mean? So the Kennedy assassination, right? The bullet mm-hmm. kind of kind of hopped around a little bit. Is the, well, they the said short that there answer. might be multiple. Yeah, it was it multiple shooters? Did the bullet swerve in the air? What's going on? In the X Men films, they uh, made it so that Magneto curved the bullet, and that explained uh, the magic bullet theory. Of course, he did. So I think that's what Eric is going to play with. I think we're going to see some. Some magic bullet. I don't know if it's going to be a literal magic bullet, if it'll be a technology magic bullet, but 112263 with the magic bullet is my secret bonus points. I like that a lot. That plays into the conspiracies, which is fun. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. So. I mean, and tragic, but but fun. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Good point. Remember, this is not just this. fiction. <laughs> yep, exactly. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> gotta be careful what you say here. Oh, man. So, my secret bonus points, uh, I'm going to tie it into my regular bonus points a bit, which were for him to do a little research and reference something from the time period that Jake goes back to. All right, can you still name all three Hobbit films? I can still name all three Hobbit (laughs) films. Uh, They are... Uh, <laughs> Gosh, you can't do it. One, yeah, I can. It's uh, an unexpected journey, the desolation of Smog, and the Battle of Five Armies. Oh, I still have to it. think about yeah. it, but I got it. I got it. I like I like ticking off Eric in the prediction segments because he has to edit these. That's a little look behind the curtain. Oh, it's great. Uh, anyway, no. So my bonus points are not that. Okay. Nothing to be related to that, but they do relate to my bonus points, as I said. Um, so I am expecting some references to the music of the, music. the early 60s. Yeah, it was a groovy time. It was a very groovy time, and I would like to have that flavor this piece a little bit. Yeah. Uh, tie in that uh, early 60s music. Um, Eric likes music. He's a music guy. He's got vinyl. He's living he in does, the 60s. He spins those, those, Spinning those them, sweet them discs. Discs. Not CDs. The platters. But, the, yep. The I don't know. Yep. It's, it's very apparent to everybody that's here that we neither of the two of us don't own vinyl. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, music uh, references from the 60s. All right. Any specific reference? No. Just 60s music. All right. Yep. Well, yep. that's pretty cool. Are, are we ready to talk to him? Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's bring, bring him, him back, back out of his time hole. His closet <laughs> yeah, time out hole. Out of the time hole. Let's do it. Hey, boyos. Hey, Yo, dog. I got some. Uh, I got some fiction for you. You know, yeah? it's weird because you left for like five minutes, but you look at least two weeks older. <laughs> yeah? Just keeping in yeah. keeping in theme no here. Reason. No reason. No reason. <laughs> uh, though I will admit, I've been writing this kind of up to the wire. I haven't uh, done any proofreading. Ooh. I apologize. Uh, this could be rough. I don't know. Maybe it's great. All Let's right. go with it. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna assume great at this point. Yeah, me too. Optimism. Perfect. You ready for eleven twenty two sixty? Oh gosh, three. Yep, yep that's that's good the start. date. Good you start. got it right. Uh, We're doing uh, good. We uh, got good. the year right. I researched the right Kennedy assassination. Then. <laughs> oh, it's true. You do have to research that. You have to get that specific. 
Oh, I dived. I dived deep. We'll talk about it later. Yeah, please. Uh, anyway, this is uh, this is Eric's. That's you know my version of eleven twenty two sixty three. Let's do this. All right. When Jake awoke on Friday morning, Sadie wasn't there. He had no memory of her leaving, which was strange considering he was such a light sleeper. She hadn't touched the coffee maker or the toaster, the usual signs of her semi-nightly occupancy of Jake's apartment. Worse, her toothbrush was no longer in the cup by the sink. There was no note. Jake dressed quickly, trying not to let himself think about Sadie. The argument last night, or was it the night before, hadn't been the way he wanted to leave things, but there was nothing he could do about that now. Light gray slacks and a white shirt, no tie. He didn't bother to shave. What would be the point? He didn't see the school bus until he had already stepped out onto Elsbeth Street. The driver laid on the horn, and Jake jumped back just before it came rushing past his nose. A receding trail of audible laughter told him that the kids on board found this near collision very amusing. Catching his breath, he finished crossing the street and unlocked the Pontiac, realizing with a slight stumble that if those kids were already on their way to school, he must have woken up late this morning. What time was it? No matter. He wasn't planning on going into work today. Classes were sure to be canceled in the afternoon. He shook his head. Why would classes be canceled? Was he that convinced of his own impending failure? (laughs) He drove. It was out of his way, but he swung by the house on Beckley Street just to see if Oswald was hanging around. Maybe he could just convince him to go visit his wife in Irving today. He smiled at the thought. He'd probably get punched in the nose if he did that. Besides, Jake hadn't spoken to Oswald in almost a year, not since Marina and the girl moved out of his building on Elsbeth before the man had wound up renting a room just a few blocks down the road. Oswald was nowhere to be seen as he crept slowly past the house, probably already at work. The car gave a slight shudder and stopped. Jake's vision blurred for a moment, and he realized that he must have hit a parked car. He got out and checked the damage, but there wasn't even a dent on his his, or the Ford he had run into. Solid metal on these old cars, he mused. (laughs) He had no memory of the drive to Norma's, except to note that the sign outside St. Cecilia's Catholic read, Welcome, Mr. President, as if the motorcade would ever find its way down to Winnetka Heights. Norma's was busy, but there was an empty stool at the counter. He sat and ordered a coffee, head pounding. You remember you were supposed to meet me here a half hour ago, right? Came a nebbish voice to his right. He turned to find Bill leaning against the counter beside him, (laughs) hair greasy and bags under his eyes. Clearly, he hadn't had much sleep last night. Bill? Jake's voice was rasping like he hadn't spoken in weeks. I'm sorry. What time is it? Almost nine, the older man replied as Norma set down a brown mug in front of Jake. Any luck this morning? Did you take care of Oswald? Jake blinked and took a sip of lukewarm coffee and tried to sort through his muddy thoughts. Was he supposed to have done something this morning? Bill sat down in the stool next to Jake as its former occupant dropped a few quarters on the counter and vacated. Well? He pressed. I didn't see him, was Jake's slow reply. Probably at work by now. Bill's voice dropped to a whisper. Do you still have the gun? He asked. Gun? Jake tried to remember what Bill was talking about. Yeah, you know, bang, bang, bang. (laughs) He fired his finger guns at Jake. They still have guns in the future, right? Yeah, there's still guns, Jake nodded. God damn, this headache was killing him. 
He squeezed his eyes shut and tried to ignore the pain for a moment. There was a heavy clatter on the counter, and Bill shouted, Hey! His eyes sprang open, and he found that his mug of coffee was lying on its side, contents splattered all over, soaking the newspaper belonging to the lady to his left. She was scowling at him and dabbing at a drop on her dress with a napkin. He had been holding the mug just a moment before. He must have dropped it. His hand was still closed, as if his fingers were still wrapped around the mug's handle. How the hell did he manage to drop it? He must be losing it. You're close to the nexus point is all, (laughs) came a gruff voice occupying the space that Bill was supposed to be. He turned to find the old man with the yellow press card in his hat band (laughs) sitting on Bill's stool, looking him directly in the eyes. Bill was nowhere to be seen, as if he'd never even been there. You, Jake said simply, as he stared at the stranger with the wild eyes. What's... what's a nexus point? The yellow card man smiled. The hub, where all paths meet. The convergence that connects all the differing threads of causality. The vanishing point, if you will. You might even call it a very unmiraculous time hole. (laughs) Jake looked back down at the counter and realized he was holding the coffee mug again. It was still very full of coffee. He set it down on the counter, which was completely clean. The newspaper to Jake's left was dry. He looked back at the yellow card man. You saw me spill that, right? Jake asked hesitantly. Mm, Maybe there's a timeline where you spilled the coffee and you've just managed to sidestep it. Jake blinked and said nothing. The strange man chuckled to himself. Ripples in a pond, Mr. Ellering. Epping, Jake quickly (laughs) corrected. Then he caught himself. Amberson, I mean, how how do you know me? Because you're not supposed to be here. You're causing too many ripples. What does that mean? Jake was breathing harder now. The pounding in his head was getting worse, and his limbs were starting to numb. He tried to massage the feeling back into his fingers. If you spill the coffee this morning, does the woman sitting next to you have to go home to change her coffee-stained dress? When she gets home, does she find her husband in bed with the neighbor's wife? What happens then? Strong words and a hasty divorce? What about the children they had planned on raising together? Are they never even born? Who have you met in your life, Mr. Epping, who ceased to be because of the ripples you've caused? Can you even remember their names? Jake's mind strained, trying to focus on faces from his past. Did they have names? Were they just faces he had invented? Who was this young woman, and why did he feel like he had slept with her last night? It was like trying to read a book written in a language you don't speak while wearing someone else's prescription lenses. (laughs) Is it possible, the yellow card man's voice faded to a whisper, that your actions might invariably prevent your own conception? Jake nervously sipped at his coffee, trying to remember who he was supposed to have met at Norma's today. The streets near Dealey Plaza were packed with cars. So Jake parked the Pontiac a block past the Union Station and walked to the Texas School Book Depository. His watch told him it was almost noon, which meant he was running way behind. How much time had he spent at the diner? It felt like hours. 
The crowds had gathered, and Jake felt a, jo a jolt of deja vu. He crossed Main, approached Elm Street, and stared at the very spot that it would all happen in less than an hour. Al's old tape copy of the Zapruder film had been played so many times that it had been practically falling apart, but he still recognized some of the blissfully ignorant standers by from the footage. It was surreal. Crossing Elm, he approached the seven-story brick structure of the depository building and peered up at the corner window on the sixth floor. The window was open, but there was yet no sign of Oswald, whom he found in an alley behind the building. You're fucking late, asshole, <laughs> he said accusatorily. He looked pissed off, but Jake was used to seeing him like this by now. You knew I'd be here? Jake asked after a moment. Don't talk to me. Not out here. Just get in position, okay? He's downtown and heading this way. I'm going upstairs. Jake didn't know what the man was talking about, but he had an inkling he was supposed to do something. Where are... He began, and Oswald cut him off. Tell me you brought the rifle. Jake chewed on this for half a second, but suddenly remembered that it was stashed in the trunk of his car. He nodded to Oswald, who rolled his eyes and said, Then get to the knoll. He ducked back inside the service entrance of the building, letting it shut behind him. Something about this was seriously off. In all the months Jake had been living in the past, mostly within a few feet of Lee Harvey Oswald, he had never been able to ascertain whether or not the man had had any co-conspirators. The microphones Jake had planted in the, in the apartment above his own, back when Lee and Marina had lived there, told him that he was an angry man, prone to violence, who felt deeply dissatisfied with the state of his country. There was no evidence, however, that he had maintained any contacts with agents in the Soviet Union. The lone gunman theory had seemed the most likely. Of course, Jake's vigilance had slipped in the last few weeks. Oswald lived close, but Jake couldn't keep tabs on him all the time. Jake had a job, he had a girlfriend, though he couldn't place her name at the moment. He had been living in his life in this part of the 20th century for so long that his mission had become a bit of a blur. Everything had become a bit of a blur. He thought about the rifle resting in the trunk of the Pontiac and made a decision, and as he did so, memories from the last few weeks solidified slightly in the mush that was his brain. Whispered conversations and hasty phone calls as Jake worked to gain Oswald's trust bubbled up in his mind. Infiltration was the key to his strategy, and now their plans were coming to fruition. Today was the day they were going to assassinate President Kennedy. Doubt struck him then. Surely there were other conspirators, right? Had Jake suddenly become the rumored but never confirmed co-conspirator in the JFK assassination? Was that even possible? Jake walked quickly back to the car, which he had conveniently parked just to the west of the book depository. Hadn't it been several blocks south just a moment ago? <laughs> and popped the trunk. He eyed the rifle suspiciously for a moment. Jake had only ever fired a gun a few times in his life, but Oswald didn't know that. He lowered the lid of the trunk a bit and stared off towards the grassy knoll, the location that had supposedly hidden the second shooter, according to many conspiracy theorists. Oswald's plan seemed to ha be to have Jake camp there with his rifle and... And what? And shoot Kennedy? There's no way he would do that. Besides, even if he tried, he'd miss by a mile. He was no sniper. The entire world seemed to pass underwater for a brief moment and Jake shook his head to clear it. 
He opened the trunk again and looked at the handgun lying inside. Part of him had expected to see a rifle sitting there, but he wasn't sure why. Some words came to him unbidden then. Maybe there's a timeline where you spilled the coffee and you've just managed to sidestep it. Was it Bill who had told him that? He pocketed the revolver and shut the lid of the trunk, entering the Texas school book depository through the service entrance where Oswald had disappeared minutes before. Jake checked his watch. Almost half past twelve. Where had all the time gone? It was almost too late. Jack bounded up the stairs two steps at a time, navigating as if he'd been in this building before, though he was pretty sure that he hadn't, and found Oswald crouching by the open corner window on the sixth floor, partially hidden amongst several stacked cardboard boxes. There was a rifle in the small man's hands, held vertically in a ready position. He seemed unaware of Jake's presence. There was a quiet, roaring sound from outside the open window as several dozen people standing along Elm Street began to cheer. Was the president's motorcade already passing through? Oswald visibly tensed, and he rested his elbow on a box that he had set up as an armrest, pointing the barrel of the rifle out at the window and towards the open-top limousine that was no doubt cruising their direction. The pistol was now out of Jake's pocket, held shakily in his sweaty hands. Hopefully he wouldn't have to use it, but what if Oswald rounded the rifle on him? He'd have no choice but to kill the man. He became acutely aware that this was the moment that he had been working towards for the last two years. He was now in the room with Lee Harvey Oswald as he prepared to put a bullet through President Kennedy's skull, and he realized that he couldn't let it happen. Lee... Jake said hoarsely to get the man's attention. It seemed to work. Oswald jumped a foot into the air and spun, clumsily striking the muzzle of the rifle against the windowsill as he turned, apparently caught completely off guard by Jake's sudden appearance. Another line floated through his head, as if from a dream. Is it possible that your actions might invariably prevent your own conception? Jake closed his eyes and squeezed the trigger. White-hot pain erupted in Oswald's left arm as the bullet struck him and he let out an involuntary howl. He dropped the rifle, falling against the brick wall next to the window, and gripped the bleeding wound with his right hand, squeezing his eyes shut in pain. Fear of a second gunshot forced him to open his eyes, but when he did so, he found that he was alone in the room. A moment ago, Jake... The man he thought he had be- that had been his friend was standing ten feet away with a gun pointed at him, and now... nothing. Jake! He shouted, but there was no response. The pain seemed to fade for a moment, and he managed to compose himself long enough to regain his knees and poke his head over the sill of the window. There, only fifty yards below him, goddamn Kennedy's limo was passing by on Elm Street. In a panic, he grabbed the rifle off the floor with his bloody hand, aimed it out the window, took a deep breath, and fired. The shot was hasty, and it ricocheted off the rear bumper of the car, now already making its way towards the railroad underpass. He cursed under his breath, cocked the bolt-action rifle, and fired again, but the limo had already begun accelerating, secret servicemen rushing to hop aboard the car and protect the assholes aboard. The shot managed to strike within a few inches of the president, but the car was now too far gone to get in a third shot. He had failed. Kennedy had managed to get away. 
Oswald had missed his chance. And where the fuck was his backup? Wasn't that jerk off... God, what was his name? Supposed to be firing from the grassy knoll? Wait a second. Wasn't he just up here a minute ago? James? No, Jake. That sounded right. Oswald spun back towards the room, but there was nobody there. Who's Jake? He thought to himself. Why does my arm hurt? He looked down at his left bicep, but it seemed to be completely fine. What the fuck just happened? <laughs> the end. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> oh, man. Are you confused? No, that was amazing. That was so good, man. That's just so like, good. My tinfoil hat just popped off my head. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> just shaking oh, with excitement. Oh, my good. gosh. Well done. That may oh, be my wow. favorite story that you've done. What? Yeah. Thank you. Holy crap. Yeah. Oh, man. I loved that. Whoa. I was so oh. impressed. Uh, I'm like I'm like shell shocked from that. Like I I uh, was just like gripped. I think I I had to, like I I one of those things that the age old like had to remind myself to breathe. I literally did. Yeah. Like I was on edge that whole time. Oh, <laughs> that's great. Ooh. That's perfect. Oh Yay. man, yeah, that was uh, Oof. wow. I I mean, had to break into it, but the pacing. Excellent. The performance was strong. This was one of the best just stories uh, complete from beginning to end. I loved the switch to Oswald at the end. I'll talk more about that later. Wow. Okay. Andrew, do you have any words yet? I can see the look on your face is just, how do I process this? Yeah. Yeah, because again, like the end was so gripping and the entire time, I, I did not know what was going to happen because you introduced the timey-wimey elements into it. It's wibbly-wobbly. Ah, uh, it, was, it was so disorienting throughout. I felt the fog with Jake most of the time, and it made me keep wanting to know what happened next. It was, it was lovely. So please, please... Tell, tell us about this process. It's very clear that you hit my bonus points because this seemed like you had a lot of details that were specific to the events. Ooh, my yes. So um, the idea for this, I mean, I was trying to channel um, King as much as possible. Like, I, I don't I haven't read a lot of Stephen King's work, but I looked at this story that he had set up with this kind of time travel element and knowing what I know from like reading the gunslinger and the, the sorts of ways that he likes to play with reality. This seemed like the sort of story he would tell. Um, and I was at first really uh, afraid to even tackle it because I knew it was going to be complicated. I knew there were going to be a lot of moving parts. I was going to have to try to keep track of what is real, you know, what changes are happening in this world as he was making decisions. How is the timeline being affected? All these things. It was like this daunting process and I didn't want to touch it. Um, so for a while, I was planning on making this just a silly fun story where... Uh, Jake runs into all my favorite time travelers, uh, including <laughs> Doc Brown. Uh, there may be Sherman and Mr. Peabody would show up. 
which I really wanted to hear Mr. Peabody explain about the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> I think uh, that would just make me the happiest. Oh, gee whiz, Mr. Peabody. Quiet, you. <laughs> and I eventually decided, like, no, that would be fun, but I have to just sit down and do the hard work. So I did, and it took forever. Yeah. I'm so mad. Oh, but it paid off, dude. Paid off big time. And after I deliberately didn't give you bonus points that required research, I was trying to throw you a bone, (laughs) give you a little break. Uh Uh-huh. No, I ended up getting sucked into the research, too. It's like, I, I, I mean... Andrew, you had said like you wanted like references to things that had happened in the '60s, and I was and I, I couldn't really find ways to do that the way I thought you meant. Um, but I just ended up sitting down and reading like a very large chunk of the Warren Commission, just tell, so yeah, I can get tell us all what these. That is. What is the so Warren Commission? The Warren Commission is the um, the oft criticized. Um, uh, report about the Kennedy assassination uh, that the U.S. government did. Okay. They, you know, this is it's all the evidence of you know who Lee Harvey Oswald is. We have biographies of Oswald and 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 the other people involved in the event of the assassination to try to draw conclusions and figure out who done it. Mm. And uh, a lot of people point at it and and they say that the research is flawed and there's a lot of evidence that wasn't included that came up later. Um, that kind of paints the whole event a little bit differently, but I thought it would be a good place to start just to give yeah. me some of the facts. Um, so I read a lot of that, read a lot about Oswald to try to figure out what kind of person he was and where he was living and, and where Jake's apartment might be in Dallas, all those sorts of details I had to work out. Did you watch any footage of Os- Oswald? Um, uh no actually so what, what really have. struck me was that the voice that you chose for oswald was like exactly what they did on the show it was yeah. spooky it was, it was really weird yeah oh okay <laughs> and so i'm assuming that was well researched <laughs> no <laughs> but it was just startling that you you did i mean not, that threw me like completely oh, yeah that's awesome um, no, I just knew that he seemed like, based on what they were, how they were painting him in the Warren Commission, that he was an asshole yeah. who like just was not nice <laughs> to anybody. Beat his wife, you yep. know. So it just one of those rare jackass political assassins. I mean, normally yeah. such <laughs> nice people. Just gentlemen, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just just uh, gentlemen. That Oswald guy gives those guys a bad rap. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. That's so that research again, like I said, was is so clear in this piece because when you use those details, like even the street names, yeah, and oh, yeah. the minute you said the Texas uh, school book depository or whatever it's called, yeah. like I just immediately clicked back from watching the show. You know these details, and of course Elm and everything. Like these details snap me back, and I am picturing your fic, but I'm able to you know, add the texture of the show. Like it was, so again, in terms of adherence to the assignment, you just nailed it. Like you nailed this feel and the place. Fantastic. Um, Question, like this show does, I assume, actually get to 11-22-63 where they're at the day of the assassin. Yes. Assassination, right? Yes. All right, cool. The last episode of the show is called The Night in Question. Gotcha. All right. 
Yeah, it's like it seemed like the obvious place to set this to go to the actual day. Like I know you gave me a lot of setup about the years leading up to it, uh, but I had to jump to the end. So I'm really curious to actually watch the show and see how they handle it. And that was that was actually my secret bonus points was that you were going to do the night in question and that you would give some explanation ah. of the magic bullet. So I called you on that one. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> you, you got it. didn't say magic bullet. I didn't, uh, no. But I'm still giving you the secret bonus points. I, I implied uh, some versions of uh, causality that might explain it, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting to me I because I'm still piecing together the details of the, the haze, the time haze that yeah. you're, you're painting here. So I'm interested to know, not that I needed it, to full, I didn't need to fully suss out all the details of this and how everything ties together because, again, just the sensation of experiencing what Jake is going through was enough for me because mm-hmm. that obfuscation of the truth is, in this case, it was compelling. Um, I didn't need to know the details, but I would like to know how many of these like little false starts or uh, glimpses of other timelines are details that kind of point towards the end that we got to like which of the pieces are the ones that would have led like directly to the events or what do you mean so you mentioned like the coffee bit and the the car was one that really stood out to me uh that the car changes location Mm -hmm. um these details that I wasn't sure if they were like time bumping him towards this end or if these were just like meant again for like obfuscation, just for throwing us off and timey wiminess. You know, I just see them as like versions that could have been. Um, like there are, like there's the version where he is conspiring with Bill to stop Lee Harvey Oswald. And then there's the version where he is conspiring with Lee Harvey Oswald in order to infiltrate his thing. Mm, yep. And in these like two different versions of reality, he parks in different places or he has okay. a different gun in the back of the car. You know, that those sorts of things. Like we're kind of getting pieces of both and these ripples are kind of changing some things at different times in a way that is kind of unpredictable. Uh, so yeah, there's just okay. there's just all these different timelines in my head where I thought there are different stories happening concurrently depending on the choices that uh, that Jake would have made. And he's still seeing glimpses of them. Yep. Yeah. As he gets closer and closer to this event. Sure. So I, I loved this. Uh, you know, I'm a time traveler stickler. Mm-hmm. And this, even though it ends with my least favorite interpretation of time travel, which is that... You're in a closed system, so if you kill yourself, you're just going to disappear. Yeah. Um, the way that you set it up, that he's just unstuck in time, like traveling between the multiverse, that didn't even throw me. And the way that you executed it from a literary perspective was so excellent that you give us this jarring shift from this very close third-person limited perspective on Jake, and then uh-huh. we pop into Oswald, and that just that sold it so well. Mm-hmm. That we are now like it was like we as the listener or the reader are going on that same journey where we just popped into an alternate timeline where we've been reading a story about Oswald this whole time, and it was yeah. just such a lovely effect. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm just I'm very impressed. This was it was the 
you know, great. You got the my bonus points about the yellow card man. That was very interesting. You played with time in a just a cool way while also keeping this emotional and just having this fractured mind trying to remember this thing that's driven him for two years. I loved. Uh, I I was just so impressed. And just one of those fun sham fiction coincidences. At the end, Jake has a sort of amnesia that's mm-hmm. fighting against him. I won't go into the details there, but that oh. just struck me as one of those uncanny parallels that we run into here. Yeah, sure. Oh, I'm definitely going to have to check it out. Yeah, definitely watch it. You're, you're not going to like the ending as much as yours, because I liked oh. your ending more. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Uh, yeah, your ending was way more exciting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Huh. Yeah, man. All right. Final final uh, scores here? Yeah, let's score it up. Do you want to go first? My yeah, fourth? I can go first. Um, All right. So, I'll, I again, I think my favorite element of this piece was the suspense, how I was constantly questioning what was happening, but not in the negative way, not in that I was confused in a bad way, but that I just kept wanting to know where it was going to go. And those little details with the ripples in time were really... Uh, you know, again, they just beg further questions, and so I, I, I really liked that a lot. Your use of suspense there, um, and the cloudiness of his amnesia, and then again the details. Like again, it just is so your research paid off. You feel that Jake is in this place again. Street names. The is the Norma's Diner. Is that a real place too? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's actually very nice. close to where he lives, near the actual like Saint Cecilia's Church and all that stuff. Killer. Perfect. There. And yeah. when you mention that church, like I almost wonder if like we drive by or walk by that church at some point in the series. Like I did that just like ring that kind of rattled around in my mind for a second. I could be wrong, but anyway, it felt that it could have. You know, <laughs> like that 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 detail adds to the immersion into this story. Um, one of my favorite uh, inaccuracies of this piece was the character of Bill, um, <laughs> who you paint as an older nebbish man. Yeah. And he is, in fact, this, like, southern bumpkin kid that Jake picks up <laughs> in, I think, Arkansas or Kentucky? I can't remember. Oh, nice. But he picks him up in the south, so Bill was completely different, and I thought that was kind of fun. I couldn't remember what we told you in the pitch for him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And also that the the yellow card man talks more in your piece than he does in the entirety of the you know whole mini series, which is <laughs> definitely an improvement. <laughs> yeah, you made it more interesting. Um, he seemed to know more about what was going on in your piece than he does in the in the mini series. And so yeah, all of these things, good good things. Um, one of the best. Uh, so I'm gonna give you uh, uh, two bullets out of two. <laughs> Wow. Uh, So, wait, they struck? I'm not going to say anything. Oh, okay. (laughs) Mark is reminding me that this actually happened, so i got to be careful what I say. So, uh, Uh, there you go. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Marcus? Yeah. uh, So, I just, I've said this, I loved it. I loved the emotion of it. I loved the intensity. I loved the pacing. I loved the time travel. Just the research came through. Everything. Excellent. Good adherence to the prompt. Uh, you gave Jake a gun in the end, which was one of the most frustrating things. Like, why on earth, after two years, would you not Rambo up going into the book depository? Um, <laughs> that was one of my problems with the show and the book. But I have to give you a full marks. You got my bonus points. Yellow card man, you got my secret bonus points. The day in question. So I'm going to give you a full eight years of Camelot. 
the entire Kennedy administration. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, well done. Oh, that's, there you go. It's all there now. Yeah. Oh. Saving the day. Fantastic. Oh, I did mention that you did not hit my secret bonus points, which oh. were uh, music references, to add references to 60s. Oh, sure. Uh, that would have been an easy, easy way to add some 60s flavor. Oh. Could have been something playing at the jukebox at Norma's, but, you know. Missed opportunities. Right. But the good news, Eric, is that Andrew still remembers the names of the Hobbit films. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Right on there. Took me a little That's bit good. of thinking, but I That's good. got him. So how do we watch or read this? Because you obviously need to watch this now. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, the 11-22-63 miniseries is currently on Hulu. It was a Hulu original miniseries. Which means it's going to stay on Hulu. Yeah, so it'll be there. Uh, So that's that's the place that you're going to have to watch it. If you don't have Hulu, there's probably like a free trial thing that you could just go, you know, get it and watch it. Um, yeah, why support great content like this? <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Marcus. But yeah, it's um, it's it's worth the watch, definitely. And as I believe I mentioned in the pitch, it's in my opinion James Franco's best role, the best thing he's ever been in. Nice. Well, I'll definitely check it out. And uh, thanks to you guys for listening to the story, and thanks for the feedback. And I'm so happy you liked it. Oh yes. Yeah. I'm happy to have liked it. And if we learned anything today, it's, hey, guys, time travel is some spooky business, so be careful. Watch (laughs) out there. Be careful out there, time travelers. (laughs) Keepers of the time holes, please use (laughs) your holes wisely. You did say unremarkable time hole. (laughs) He did. (laughs) Fantastic. All right, thanks, everybody. See you next week or last week. I'm Andrew. <laughs> yeah, no, that's me. It's me. Sham Fiction is produced by Two Jackets Productions, which is Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Special thanks to Reed Reimer for providing the music. For a full list of episodes and to read this week's fiction, visit shamfiction.com. Follow us on Twitter at shamfiction, and please don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. Hey, Sham Bardeners, I hope you enjoyed that tale of Mr. King's, but I have to tell you, there are other worlds than these. Next week, Andrew's taking a trek through Midworld, so keep your guns close at hand and hope the meat in your broth hasn't lost the thread. Until then, I've got to figure out what's so important about the number 19.